I really contemplated starting this episode by singing You Don't Bring Me Flowers. Uh, but then I didn't. Be, and you're welcome, America. You're welcome. Um, we have the we because Carrie's not here have the great opportunity to talk to the folks at Westerlay Orchids. This is in Southern California. It's a big orchid company. Uh, almost four million orchids sold this year. Any good year, they'll get a three million out of them. Uh, we have uh, Jeff Cartman, director of sales, and Grace Hanna, the e-commerce specialist. On we're going to talk about orchids. We're going to have a plant experience. So buckle up because. Who knows? I don't know. I don't know half a thing about. I, I read the Orchid Thief. That's it. That's all I got. Susan Orleans. That's all my background. So we're gonna get into this together and learn all about orchids. Welcome to the Backpack Show with your hosts Chris Brogan and Carrie Gargone. Boom shakalaka. And welcome to the show. So glad that you're here. I'm so happy you could be here for this. Jeff Cartman and Grace Hanna are going to join me. We're going to talk all about orchids. You know more than I do. All of you do. So we're going to do that. I've got a couple ad reads I got to do at the very beginning. Guests of the show stay at the inconveniently located from downtown or anywhere. Never to be confused with luxurious and never updated FDR Hotel. Located somewhere off Highway 84 near an old gas station with a burned out van parked out front with a for sale sign. If you want to make a show just like this yourself, you can. We're sponsored by StreamYard. Go to cbrogan.me slash StreamYard. You can have a really cool video show. You can push all the buttons, especially if your co-host goes off and does other things. <clears throat> hey, we're sponsored by the dot .online domain. That's why you can go to the backpackshow.online because that's we're cool like that. But if you want your own dot .online, you can have orchids.online. Why not? cbrogan.me slash online. Use the code CHRIS in all caps. I'm going to do the rest of the ad reads a little bit later. And I realized I didn't turn off my AC because I'm a bad human being. Hi, Janice. Thanks for wandering in. Good to see you. Hope everyone else is doing well as well. Uh, I'm going to grab Jeff and uh, Grace, and we're going to start talking about plants. Jeff Cartman, Grace Hanna, how the heck are you? Great. So are you not sure how you're doing? <laughs> I'm doing well. Okay. Just checking. So I, like I said, I, I am orchid virginal here. You can tell me anything and I'm going to believe you. Uh, you put out in the market over 3 million, heading towards 4 million orchids a year. Talk to me, uh, maybe Jeff, a little bit about what's going on with that and, and who buys orchids and, and how, how do you get a big stake like that in this industry? Well, uh, the company's been around since 1978, so it's definitely not an overnight success story. There's a lot of... Um, a lot to do when it comes to uh, building an organization of the size. And of course, you know, it, it being a family run uh, company, uh, this is the uh, second generation going after uh, Joe, the owner, passed it to uh, his son, uh, Tuan Obergog. And um, it's just, it's just a, a, a day in day out endeavor like agriculture is. And uh, there's a, a big staff of people who we really count on to, uh, uh, to make the wheels of progress work and run. And, uh, and in fact, it takes, it takes about 15 to 18 months from the time that we receive a flask, um, a flask plant in from overseas uh, before you can actually purchase it at retail. So it takes, it takes quite some time. I think that's the thing that, that, that most people are surprised about is just the length of time it takes to grow an orchid from flask to finish. 
18 months is pretty intense. And that means that, you know, the way you plan for abundance or, hey, we're doing great with the blue ones. We need some more blue ones and that sort of thing. It's a little harder to kind of do your your planning around that kind of a, a cycle. I imagine that's different than what you'd had been doing before, Jeff. What can you say about having to plan around an 18 month growth cycle uh, to tie to your sales plans? It's, uh, it's challenging, but I think that the industry is built around it. So there's a lot of inherent uh, acceptance of the fact that it takes you know, quite some time to do it. So all of our partners uh, uh, help us to you know, plan out uh, a good six to six months to 12 months uh, when it comes to um, a sales plan, production plan. Uh, but, but you are correct. I mean, if you want to make any changes really, you know, down to the varieties, color, um, assortment, price points, it really is a slow moving ship. So it's not uh, a turn on a dime uh, situation like I've experienced with, you know, prior industries that I worked for. So uh, being in the floral industry, it's, it's fun, it's exciting, it's challenging, everything that, uh, that you wake up in the morning to do. I like that sentence. Grace, uh, with the sense of e-commerce and all that, it's a little different to move a live plant around. What else is different or important about understanding how to set up a site for this? How do, how do you make sure that uh, Westerly gets what they need on, on the distance thing, especially with that little setback we all had last year? Sure. So plants are one of the most popular items right now, um, both both at the grocery store level and then also through e-commerce. And so setting up a site that effectively um, communicates what the customer would be receiving and also, you know, navigates the shipping logistic challenge um, that is kind of inherent with shipping plants across a large span, um, like our current shipping window. Um, so communicating all of that in a website is really important for this industry. Um, and that's been something that has been a focus of ours uh, since COVID began. That has to have been a quick thing to, to be spun up. Did you, how, how much time did you have between quick, it turns out we really need this to the product had to be ready to run? So I'll let Jeff speak to this a little bit because um, the company actually began this journey before I joined them. Um, okay. and I was a little bit late to the game, but Jeff can jump in and talk about how they got started. Super. Yeah. It was actually a pretty funny story. So it was it was March 14th, which ha happened to be my birthday, and it was uh, over the weekend, and um, the world kind of stopped. You know, we started getting a bunch of calls saying, you know, all all the DCs are closed, um, all the logistics channels are shut down, uh, trucking is going to cease, all the distribution is going to cease, and so it was a a real fire drill to decide, you know, what we're going to do and and what's going to be the span of time that things things are going to be disrupted. So. Uh, the first, the first two three weeks were just sort of feeling things out. You know, where where, where is this journey going to go? And I'm sure everybody can think back to the first you know couple of weeks of COVID, where you're like you had no idea where it was going to go. And then once sort of the norms and things were established as the safety protocols and and what have you, people sort of carried on with their lives about you know midsummer. But um, so about three weeks after uh, COVID hit, uh, we had a lot of plants that were in the stream that had no place to go. And so we just thought let's rally the troops and let's uh, build a, a website and let's promote the product uh, in, in, in a more philanthropic way. So the initial website was all about selling plants at cost, giving gifts. So we promoted a box of orchids at the time it was called box of orchids where you could send a box of orchids at cost to anybody on the West coast, show, show some, um, some gratitude. We would uh, insert notes 
you know, hang in there. Um, you know, we, we love you, et cetera. And then, uh, and then on the other side of things, on the more um, industrial side, uh, from for uh, in, in a larger scale, we reached out to as many uh, first responders and, and institutions that we thought would would benefit from just receiving some free plants. You know, so we reached out to pretty much every major hospital and, and institution on the West Coast uh, that we could ship to, and so and we ended up shipping over a hundred thousand orchids. Um, as as donations to you know USC Cedar Sinai, uh, Dignity Health across the board, and it, it was it was obviously challenging, but it it, it was one of the more um, rewarding things that I've ever been through. It was, it was pretty cool. It seems pretty intense. I mean, the whole fact that like you said, it's all living product. It's rolling no matter what, and all of a sudden the world goes kablooey. Next thing you know. Uh, you, you've got a lot of these things you have to decide what to do with them. So you decide quick, let's be you know philanthropic about it and make sure that some people have access to it. Um, words are coming in about the fact that orchids are a little difficult to get to rebloom and whatnot. And uh, Elizabeth says she can't even imagine shipping them. So do you want to talk a little bit about the uh, nature of your plants and, and what it takes to, to make such a product uh, exist in this world? You can see this, Grace. Sure, yeah. So I can... I can speak a little bit to the shipping and like how to care for your orchid um, sort of question. Um, orchids are one of the most difficult things I've ever come across to have to ship, um, if I'm being completely honest. And I was talking to Jeff about this in the office the other day. Um, it's a bulky, lightweight item that is alive and fragile all at the same time. Um, and you have to ship this across multiple different climate zones and it's kind of a pain. Um, but what we've worked with, we've been ironing out the kinks of the shipping logistics and um, come up with a good way to securely fasten the plant to the box and make sure that the ceramic container that it's held in is also you know, wrapped appropriately. Um, we use kind of a cotton batting substance to hold the um, flowers in place to minimize damage. So that's another thing um, that we use. And um, in terms of shipping our whole boxes of orchids, we've been really fortunate to work with um, a third party shipping logistics company that will ship them upright. And so I think as you know, shipping's gotten more um, advanced in the last couple of years, um, and especially with COVID kind of expanding how many people are getting into that, um, the shipping has gotten better. On the one hand, you say that about advanced. On the other hand, I've seen some delivery people just wing boxes <laughs> up over fences, crazy stuff. And I, I, you know, as you're saying all this, I'm looking at this page, I'm looking at these plants, and I'm thinking, yeah. you're going to crack a lot of necks on these things. It's nothing good's going to happen. There's so many <laughs> bad ways you could break one of these. Is there a massive amount of breakage in, 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 in customer service issues, or, or was there, and you're starting to get mega good at doing this, that they arrive un, unsullied? So there is definitely a high scrap rate, especially at first. Um, and that is something that we mostly ironed out with test shipments uh, to family and friends primarily um, to figure out you know, exactly how, uh, how we needed to package correctly. Um, something that people will do is we call it the three foot drop test. And so you have to be able to drop it and kick it around at least three feet above the ground. Um, Cause that's typically what a shipping company will do when they drop it on your doorstep. And so if it doesn't, withstand that, it's probably not gonna withstand the whole transit process. And so it looks a little bit violent to be just dropping boxes off you know, a ladder or whatever in your warehouse, but um, it's an important step in making sure that uh, the plants will actually arrive to the customer. 
Um, I will say that we have to build in a certain amount of scrap and also we have to think through, particularly with um, weather challenges. So if it's really hot, for example, shipping to the Pacific Northwest this past week, um, we had to hold some shipments. And that's something that you don't really have to do in maybe a houseware industry or something with more of a standard product. Um, the weather really does impact us. I was just hearing that Portland, Oregon's power lines are starting to melt. And they're just like, what do you do? <laughs> it's crazy. You know? So how are you going to get a very delicate plant, you know? Uh, help me out again. It's uh, Phalaenopsis. Phalaenopsis. Yep. Phalaenopsis. Uh, that is a delicate little beastie. And and again, as I'm looking at it, it's a premium product. I mean, one of these plants could be forty, fifty dollars. They could be hundred and something dollars. Uh, and you know, my guess is that if you're going to get a whole box of them in, even if you're putting those to a grocery store somewhere on the way, I mean, you're really putting a lot of product in a lot of other people's hands. Um, you mentioned about scrap and all that. Well, one of the other things that you're known for, though, is being a pioneer in environmental and also sustainability practices. Does that extend all the way to the to, to the delivery? I mean, what what do you do to kind of make this uh, world a better place for your, your little guys before they get into other people's hands? Sure. I mean, there's there's a lot of things that we do from from uh, the initial starting of growing the product all the way to when it ships. Uh, we do we have a uh, low pesticide use, uh, water reclamation. Um, we, uh, are, we're installing, we're installing a solar array at, at our facility. Uh, we've switched from, um, from uh, single use plastic products to paper sleeves for, for, uh, for the majority of the product that ships in. Uh, I mean, there's, there's a lot of things that we do. We, um, we have a carbon footprint, um, tracker. So we, we've signed up for carbon footprint, which is a, a company that tracks your, carbon emissions and uh, we've uh, uh, purchased some offsets to uh, service some underserviced areas in, in the world to help offset uh, the carbon that we do use but we we try our best to try to look at the entire supply chain and say you know what what can we do to uh, minimize um, our impact on the on the environment um, we're going to be uh, using our first uh, made in the USA ceramic pots on our products so that's happening now so that's going to cut down on a lot of the ocean freight, uh, carbon. And, um, and it's, we're just, we're, we're continually looking down, down the road in, in 2025 to 2026, we're going to be opening up a new facility in uh, Port Wyneming, which is about 25 minutes uh, Southwest of our current uh, location. And, uh, the, the goal is to be carbon neutral. And, uh, from our, from our experience, uh, it's going to be the first facility on the West coast. That's going to be carbon neutral, uh, from our, from our market sector. So we're, we're pretty excited about that. And, um, like I said, it's it's really it's one of our um, you know main tenets and core values is sustainability. So uh, we do what we can to to really make an impact. That's impressive, uh, especially the whole point about cutting down on things like you know the uh, overseas and the Pacific delivery and all that sort of thing. I mean that's that's a a pretty big undertaking to go for. How big are these facilities that I'm looking at? How how, how much acreage is it to to grow all of this and, and maintain it? Uh, the, the total square footage, I'm, I'm sure the owner is going to kill me for not getting this exactly right. No, but I, you I know, believe I get it wrong because how are we? Yeah, I believe it's, it, it's, it's 800,000 square feet of greenhouse is That's the, intense. is the number. Yeah. 800,000 square feet of greenhouse. And I keep pulling out these pictures just because they're all pretty intense to look at. Uh, one thing I, I wanted to swap to, this has nothing to do with the question that came before it. Grace, you said that in your spare time, 
you're starting to grow some plants in your garden in your backyard. Aren't you sick of plants by the time you get home? Don't you just want to kick a bunch of dandelions in the face or something like that by the time you get home? <laughs> I think I've, I used to be, um, when I worked in the plant industry formerly with roses, I never wanted to see them when I was at home. Um, but since, I think since COVID started, I like a lot of people have kind of gotten into plants. I've kind of started enjoying them as well. Uh, plants have always been something that my grandparents and my parents were really interested in. And I kind of grew up around, but wasn't particularly interested in. Um, but I've really enjoyed kind of getting my hands dirty and being out in the garden and also having houseplants. Um, it's been really rewarding to just watch stuff slowly grow during COVID. I think it's been kind of a nice outlet for me. Um, yeah. I love it. Now I have to imagine, and again, I, I told you ahead of time, I confessed, I don't know anything, but I've got to imagine that there are trends and things like that in orchids. Like, you know, well, suddenly pink's a big deal. Um, what are the trends? What do you see out there? What are people looking at or not looking at as it, when it comes to this sort of thing? And, and what's new and wild in orchids or how much of this is just every day the same? Uh, I think I think the uh, two biggest trends, uh, people are spending a little bit more for each purchase. Uh, so what we call a garden, which is not a single orchid, it's, it's an orchid that's mixed with other products. So it could be multiple orchids or it could be an orchid and then another green plant or some, some foliage or accessories. Uh, so uh, garden purchases have, have, have risen pretty dramatically. And I think it's just people uh, are a little bit uh, more apt to spend you know, more money on, on their home environment uh, to make it look nicer. And they want something that's a little bit more grand for maybe their centerpiece or their, or their island or their coffee table. So that's definitely a trend. And then uh, you know, when it comes to innovation, um, we, we developed a product called the Bramble, which is um, hmm. really unique on the market. And it's a, it's a standard uh, five inch orchid that's trained to, uh, to grow how orchids grow in, in the wild. So in the wild, uh, orchids don't grow uh, upright. You know, they gravity takes effect and they, and they sort of grow uh, more low to the ground. Uh, we, you know, we train the orchid spikes, uh, you know, vis-a-vis -vis like bamboo, bamboo stakes in order to hold them upright to get that uh, vertical look. But um, the bramble is intended to sort of mimic sort of how it looks in, in nature. And, uh, and it's been a real hit. So that's probably the fastest growing. It's, it's also the most, the, the most complex. And so from a, from a distribution and, and from an from an exclusivity standpoint, I don't think that there's many people in, in, in the whole country that that grow them like we do. There's no one doing brambles. Who's even hanging orchids these days? I mean, this is craziness. By the way, uh, you said something about eight, maybe eight hundred thousand square feet or whatever. By context, a football field is fifty-seven thousand six hundred square feet. That's multitudes of football fields in size is what you're saying is is working the westerly orchids game that's intense yeah if you want to impress somebody i mean walk them into a into a big greenhouse it's it's something that's awe-inspiring if you haven't been in one before it's pretty cool i'm looking all through the instagram and you again you know i'm a big stupid not smart guy about it i'm looking to find your brambles but all i keep finding are just different ways to present you know what to me would sort of look like you know, the same old thing, a slightly different way, but it's not. There's just so many various ways that it's being put together. One question I have is that there's there's what gets put together by you there and sort of in concept and all that. Some amount of these must go to uh, orchid artists and orchid designers and, and interior people. Do you ever get to see your plants used in interesting and crazy ways out there in the world? 
So I work with quite a few florists who are customers of mine, um, and they do some pretty incredible uh, orchid displays. They make these huge grand like arrangements or they'll do um, like these wedding arches are a really big deal in the floral world mm. now. And um, I've seen some really cool ones done um, with orchids, um, typically white orchids. And so, yeah, people will hang them and they'll kind of integrate them into other big displays and they look really cool. So. Yeah. That's pretty nuts. That's it's it's interesting to imagine that there's so many ways to put them all together. And again, I'm just I'm sifting through Instagram while everyone's just waiting and watching the interview, and I'm just trying to pick out and just show all these different ways you've had a, a way to display them. Um, I have to do a quick couple of ad reads, so I'm going to put you backstage for 45 seconds. Don't go anywhere too far. Boop. Hang tight one second, and uh, we'll bring you back. We're talking to Westerly Orchids, uh, and oh my gosh, look at all the stuff we have to look at. All right, I have one, two, three more ad reads to do. One is a show. Deanna Shas has the show Intercultural Spark. It is Thursdays, that's tomorrow, live at 10 a.m. Central Time. Go watch and see what's going on with Deanna's show. There's a lot to cover, and she has really good interviews with guests and has lots of interesting things going on. Uh, another is, hey, do you like podcasts? Me too. Well, if you want to get an audio podcast version of the show, we are everywhere that you can find a podcast. But if you want to put together your uh, own podcast, you can get hosted at castos.com. Super easy, castos.com. It's not an orchid, but it'll do. Want to use a search engine that's not Google? I mean, who doesn't? Go to presearch.com. You can have a really cool experience. You can look at things a whole different way. Presearch.com, if you sign up and get a free account, you start earning crypto just by using your searches. And then you can start using those crypto rewards to maybe stake a keyword like Orchid. So there's a lot to go with that. So presearch.com. And always thank our friend Kate for uh, sponsoring the show. Kate does this every single week, it seems, lately. So thank you so much for sponsoring presearch.com. All right, let me grab one Jeff Karpman, one Grace Hannah. Welcome back. See, that wasn't too painful. We all lived all the way through it. Um, Genesis, I knew a couple of people who grew orchids, and it's amazing to hear the stories about how people used to find and collect orchids. Uh, I don't know anything about this, except, again, I read the Susan Orlean book. Uh, there must be quite a distance between uh, what it takes to make a commercial operation like this versus, you know, walking through the woods and finding one hiding behind a tree or something like that. Yeah, well, Jeff uh, might know more about this than I do, but I, the last I checked, there's over 25,000 species mm -hmm. of orchids um, all over the world. So the there's almost an endless supply of different variations and colors and species. It's a really diverse group. Um, and there's some really cool ones. We obviously mostly grow Phalaenopsis, um, but we've also, you know, looked at some of the other ones and we get to see them, uh, Vandas and Dendrodiums, I think is the name. Anyway, um, there's a lot of different kinds and colors, but um, in terms of selecting, there's a whole breeding process for that. Jeff might know more about it than I do, but um, yeah. Yeah, I would say that, you know, the the commercial aspect of it is, is much different than the collector. You know, there's uh, the Santa Barbara International Orchid Show, uh, which is they, they had their 75th anniversary last year, uh, unfortunately during COVID. So I, I believe they're going to um, have it in person uh, coming up uh, this year. But uh, there's a big gap between the orchid collector and the just your retail orchid purchaser. The retail orchid purchaser tends to just want something uh, to spruce up their house, something to you know liven up their office space. 
uh, the Oracle Collector is it is a whole nother breed. And, and when you walk some of these shows and you see some of these varieties that are, you know, north of a thousand dollars per plant, and, uh, and you have orchid hunters and you have orchid uh, traders and, and things of that nature, it's it's definitely a, a different experience. But I also uh, heard something that I, I didn't know, but uh, orchids were the first known flowering plant on planet Earth. So there was a time when there was no flowering plants. Um, there was just green plants and there was no pollination via insects and and um, and orchids were identified as the first flowering plant on our lovely planet. So pretty, pretty cool to uh, be part of that history. Wow, that's pretty intense. Uh, Janice has a question. Do you have videos or tutorials on how to care for them? And uh, Elizabeth seconds the motion on that. Yeah, we do. Uh, if you go to our website, westerlay.com, uh, there's an orchid care section and there's some helpful videos on there um, from Candy, actually, the um, one of the owners at Westerlay. Um, and she does some really helpful videos on watering and how to fertilize and um, where to put your orchid in your home, that sort of thing. So I would recommend you check them out. That is awesome. Thank you for letting us know that I'm bringing it up on screen. If I Perfect. I'm lucky. Oh, here's an easy instructions and whatnot. So... Let's see. Push a button, Brogan. There we go. So there's care, placement, light, water, fertilizer, continuing care, down to download a print, some other stuff about different ones, and then look right there, a little video on what to do when you bring your orchid home. Um, as I was listening to you talk about the idea of uh, this, two thoughts, three thoughts came to mind at the same time. One was quality control. What's that process like? What's that involved? It's got to be pretty crazy. Yeah, we have a great team. So uh, we have a team of about 100 people that work in the greenhouse. And um, there's a great great leadership model where we train uh, to uh, what we call scouting. So scouting and specking out orchids. Uh, so every variety, every size has a certain parameter that it has to meet um, size of the spike or, or height of the spike, um, size of the leaves, uh, number of buds per spike, et cetera. And, and each variety varies a little bit. So uh, what we do is we we bring in a a, a test quantity, a couple thousand uh, plants, and we grow them for the for the full cycle, and then we uh, grade them based upon um, what we consider to be A or A plus uh, parameters. And then if they pass the grade, then uh, the subsequent year, if we like, you know, the color, the variety, how it looks, how it performs, scrap rate, a bunch of different uh, parameters that we scorecard, uh, then we decide to either bring it in the mix or not. And then of course, when you bringing a plant into the mix, you have to look at the least performers for from, from the past cycle uh, that were in the mass production uh, flow. And then uh, we, so we cycle in and we cycle out of plants on a periodic basis, just looking for the, for the hardiest plants, the ones that grow the fastest, have the best, you know, leaves, um, uh, uh, most resistance to any type of pest. So there's a, there's a lot of varieties um, uh, that sort of move through uh, the, the flow at Westerway. That was intense to listen to. As you were saying it, I mean, I'm way back on when you said A and A plus, and I thought, well, what do you do with the B minuses and stuff like that? You know, do, do they get dumped to some other place? Or they, it must be pretty intense to go through all that. But as it applies to your sustainability and all those sorts of plans, what does happen with you know the the concept of the scrap and all that? What do you do with you know the broken guys and the ones who fall down and you know whatever happens? You know, what 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 happens with all that plant matter? Uh, sure. So we we recycle what we can, um, and then we we uh, compost the rest. So 
uh, just you know normal industry uh, recycling and composting, uh, and and there isn't there's a surprisingly low amount of scrap. We actually we, for for producing four million plants, we only scrap about three thousand per week. Wow, so it's not a lot of plants. So part of the part of the scouting out the best varieties is is to pick plants that are the hardiest plants that that won't have issues through, through the cycle because because we want to limit the amount of scrap that we have. We're spending quite a bit of you know time and energy on on growing these plants. We want to mitigate um, the scrap throughout the process. I just found myself thinking about the fact that I know you both intend to retire from there when you're very old, uh, because I can't imagine you ever having to look at something as difficult as shipping, like you know toilets or rocks or things like that. After all the work that it takes to move orchids around, that's pretty intense. That's pretty intense. How? What's the, you? You mentioned some of the process in the training and the scouting and teaching people how to understand uh, all of that. Is there even further a process? Well, like in, like in spirits, there's brewmasters and things like that, and they help teach people how to make the best bourbon and all that. Is there a similar kind of uh, apprenticeship kind of a scenario? It's a family-run business, Westerlay. So, uh, is is there is that just handed down from generations, or like what does it take to become the master person? deciding what's what around there i think that's one of the beauties about about agriculture is it, it, it's an undervalued underserviced um, space and and so whereas you know you have to have a degree to to, to rise to the top uh, you know being a physician lawyer etc you can you can very well be an intern or start at the bottom and then learn from one of our um, one of our master growers and just through the knowledge, the inherent knowledge of working day in and day out and learning about the business and the plants, you can ascend to, to becoming a, um, a, a growing master and either um, you know, become a leadership uh, position with the company or you can move on to, uh, to take that reins at, uh, at, at another growing operation. But uh, it, there's definitely a lot of training on the job. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you don't have to walk in with a horticulture degree and, um, and have a master's. There's a, there's a, a, a bottom-up uh, option. I missed asking this one earlier, but are there still orchids out there waiting to be discovered? I'm sure there are. I mean, I can't imagine that we've discovered all of them so far, but I don't know. We'd have to talk to a real expert on that. <laughs> you got me. Uh, do you know where they live in general, like when they're left to their own devices? Because if they're the first plant on the world, does that mean they were lots of places or just in a sort of a temperate zone or where do they like to live? So they are all over the place, um, primarily in tropical regions. Um, so there's in the continent of Africa, there's um, multiple varieties that come from there. Uh, Indonesia has quite a few, Brazil, um, countries around those areas also have quite a few. I know China is where I think a lot of the red varieties come from China, but yeah. It's really wow. diverse. So, you know, orchids have adapted to be in lots of different climates and locations, but they are primarily in tropical regions. Yeah. Are you engineering any orchids at Westerly or elsewhere? Like, I mean, how much of how much of it is I just made a, you know, the pluot of orchids or something? Does that happen much? Uh, we're not. So we don't we don't breed or propagate any orchids ourselves. Uh, we do work with our suppliers to always uh, sort of push them to, to give us what's the next, the best thing. So we're definitely not sitting back and just accepting uh, what's what's passed along our way. So we're always 
you know, pushing what's the next thing, what's the next color, what's the next variety? Can we get a more vibrant red? You know, can we have a taller three inch? Can we, you know, have a hardier product? Can we have variegated leaves? I mean, there's there's various things that 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 we're constantly pushing, and um, and and really, I mean, that's that's how you know the the, the whole industry progresses if we just push and we ask for more and we, you know, we, uh, we, we, you know, we extend what's happening on the market and what we're seeing in other areas into orchids. And, um, and it also extends to, to the design side of things with, with the arrangements and the gardens and the ceramics. And, um, and you'd be surprised the, on the ceramic side of things, you know, people always say, you know, you're buying an orchid, but if the pot doesn't look great and it, it's not, it's not appropriate for your home environments, if it's not elegant, if it's not you know universally uh, colorized, then really you're going to have some issues you know selling the plants in general. So, sort of one you know one hand covers the other, and uh, but we're constantly pushing for that innovation. That's interesting too. It's like picture framing. It's it's that whole notion that you know if you have an incredible print and you just throw it in any old frame, it's not going to be so great. So if I have a red solo party cup, that maybe isn't the best thing to deliver the orchid in. Is your point so? How do you get beyond just a simple white ceramic vase? I saw some of that, uh, if I find it super fast, on the Instagram with like a fire truck and all those sorts of things and and themes. Uh, do you see heading in that direction a little bit? That sort of, I don't know, Build-A-Bear with orchids? Uh, so we do have some some seasonal specific ceramics and, and pots. You know, for example, back to school, you might have a little uh, pencil holder, you know, as a as a pot. So um, we tend to be a little bit more you know, classically inspired because our brand image is more is more classical and everyday use. Uh, but we do venture off into the novelty a little bit. We might have a uh, an Easter egg for or a mock a mock ceramic Easter egg for for Easter or a, a heart pot for Valentine's. But uh, I would say that the vast majority of our sales come from a more traditional, elegant look. You won't be licensing to Rick and Morty anytime soon. <laughs> I just heard out of that. All right. We're heading towards the end of the show. So I'm going to do a couple of things real quick. I am going to uh, find our person of the day. Oh, and here's our person of the day. Kaboom. So I already told you, you didn't necessarily have to read along, but uh, there sure was quite a story going along as this, uh, as this came uh to, to happen so i have to find the start of the story uh leslie says this will be leslie's person of the day um i have a co-worker who had a beautiful orchid that we have now named stick um so i guess that doesn't sound like it is going to work so well uh and by nature janice mentioned that we had one in the office that we left alone we just put ice cubes on it once a week um and evidently stick is in intensive rehab so uh, the other lesson learned was that uh, orchids don't like coffee, uh, like a jalapeno. So now there's a lot of questions on what happened to stick. So I'm going to give it to Leslie uh, for that reason. She's person of the day. Now uh, we're at the question that I've asked every guest who's ever been on this show, which is what goes in your backpack? This could be something physical, uh, like a delicious bottle of whiskey to take up the top of a mountain. It could be something metaphorical like, uh, you know, hope and dreams for the future, or maybe, I don't know, kindness. So I'll ask the question. I'm going to go Grace Hannah first. Grace, what goes in your backpack? Uh, so I'm a trail runner, distance runner. Uh, so I'd probably bring my tennis shoes. I run in Saucony Canvaras. That's probably oh. my, that's my, that's my choice. 
That's a good little beast of a, a piece of footwear as well. I liked trail I running a lot. Yeah, I, uh, I did a trail marathon back in uh, 2004, and halfway through it, my, uh, you know how the, the technical shoelaces have those little doodahs and pull-ons, and you can't exactly just change a shoelace. It turns out, um, I had that happen midway through. So, I guess I would have brought extra shoelaces. I like Convar <laughs> as it is. Jeff Cartman, what goes in your backpack? I think. Uh... I think tickets to go around the world and some camera gear would be great. I'm a, I'm a camera hobbyist, uh, a photography um, guy, so I would definitely like to do that. Now, are you a film camera guy, or are you doing digital? You know, like real digital. People? Yeah, yeah, not okay, a good. not a not a traditional uh, film person. Yeah, yeah. And what do you uh, shoot, Canon, or what's your? Uh, I shoot Fuji. Uh, oh. I have an XT4 right now, and. Uh, also an X100F, uh, so. Oh, those are some beautiful little rigs, and they do the they do the job. My gosh, the kind of work you get out of those—that's great. Um, I feel for uh, Leslie and Stick because my grandmother was absolutely the worst. They, uh, she could grow spider plants all day, but heaven forbid you give this woman anything that requires a little bit of work. Um, she had these sort of French Canadian tips on how she could do things a little bit better, but I learned after a while that my grandfather was in on the secret of how she kept her plants so fresh looking. <laughs> <laughs>